The reading of the Scriptures from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 15 to 22. So let us hear the Word of God uh, in faith and with joy, uh, for God has spoken and His Word has been recorded for us and preserved that we might read and hear. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations. You shall nurse at the breast of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your steadfast and everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. Most of us are acquainted with the reality that uh, uh, we continually have elections locally, statewide, nationally, and politicians always come and make promises to revitalize uh, broken elements in cities that we live at or maybe in relationships. Uh, so men make promises. Nothing wrong with making promises. But we look uh, this morning at some of the great promises of God, and the contrast is, is that God will keep all of his promises. The promises of men come and go. Uh, sometimes even the best of promises that are made simply cannot be fulfilled. It's not so with God. And uh, this morning we're going to look at uh, the promises of God to make radical change in the end time Zion, uh, and even more so radical change uh, not just in the eternal city, but in her citizens that uh, will inhabit the city. And as we might expect, a God in grace will fulfill all of them. Uh, none of the promises of God will go unfulfilled or half-fulfilled or partially fulfilled because of who God is. Certainly in terms of a note of application, that we should live as a people of promise. Uh, that we should live in light of the promises of God, 
And we should live in light of the promises of God who is the guarantor of the promises, meaning that they will all come to pass. None of them will fail. No partial fulfillments in the Word of God. Now, the larger context, of course, as you know, uh, is uh, the promise of end-time restoration. Uh, certainly there is a measure of fulfillment in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. There's no doubt that that's uh, partially true. Uh, but I think the promises go way beyond Ezra and Nehemiah. So that Isaiah is going to tell us what Zion and her cities, uh, her citizens, pardon me, will look like in their eternal estate. Uh, certainly, uh, it's a reminder that we are in for a massive transformation. Uh, and behind the promises are the Lord, or is the Lord of history. Uh, in verses 15 to 20, we begin with the eternal city. And the promise that God is going to radically transform the eternal city. Formerly, Isaiah says, she was a city in distress. Notice verse 15, whereas uh, you have been forsaken and hated. Uh, instead of, of one-time reality that you were forsaken and hated, God's going to affect massive change. Uh, it's repeated uh, in an analogous sense in verse 17. Instead of, instead of bronze, I will bring gold. So the first promise of God to the eternal city is I will make you an everlasting pride and joy. Uh, the word pride comes from the verb to rise. Uh, it is uh, a reminder that, uh, that God uh, is highly exalted. He is risen above us all. Uh, Moses uses uh, this word in Exodus chapter 15. In verse 1 of the Lord, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Why? Because the horse and the rider he has hurled into the sea. That God has effected redemption for his uh, people, uh, the great Passover, uh, because he is highly exalted. He has risen above all. Uh, God is subordinate to no one. And so he's able to fulfill this promise to, uh, to bring joy uh, to the nation to effect change. Uh, it's a reminder for us uh, that the great cities of the earth uh, will, will be gone someday and only the eternal city of Zion will remain in triumph. Uh, perpetual joy will replace the fear and sadness of uh, days gone by. It's a great illustration in terms of uh, the theology of the prophet Isaiah, certainly the theology of the New Exodus, that, that uh, in a physical sense, uh, there's great movement all over our world as people move to great uh, urban centers, great massive expansive cities. Nothing wrong with moving to cities, but in a spiritual sense, they will all, they will all fail, they will all fall. They cannot uh, match their promises. And all of the promises of uh, the politicians will fail compared to the promises of God who will resurrect in time Zion. Secondly, we have the promise of uh, profound wealth and prosperity, verse 16, uh, in the metaphor of the infant child. 
that the nations and kings will transfer their riches uh, to the city. Uh, remember looking at a picture a number of years ago of a pagan goddess. Uh, she had multiple breasts, indicating that she could feed so many. But again, what a farce. Uh, all over our own world, we have the reminder that uh, uh, we're, we're failing in feeding people. Uh, we continually hear the refrain that so many people go to bed hungry. God will not fail the promise uh, to richly provide uh, for his people uh, who inhabit his city. None will go to bed hungry. Uh, hunger will retreat finally and totally uh, because of the ability of God to provide. Uh, here again, it's the provision of nations and king uh, to the eternal city, transferring their wealth. And, and we know the wealth is defined uh, as, as uh, the praise of God. True wealth is praising God. Uh, we live in a, a culture uh, mad for wealth. Now, we should be mad to praise God, uh, that there should reverberate in our innermost being uh, the cry of the heart, the praise of God for redeeming us, uh, for putting us on the rolls of this great city uh, with a surety of the knowledge that we will one day enter that city, never ever to depart ever again. The greater point of the promise is that we will want for nothing. Compare that with politicians. I mean, I understand they make promises, and certainly they need to make promises. I understand that there are things that are broken and failing, uh, things that need to be fixed. Uh, but by and large, uh, governments uh, also beget incredible and great poverty, just simply the way of man. Our reminder in the gospel is that God will deliver that all of this massive change begins in the gospel with Christ. That knowing him, uh, you belong to the city. The city will come for you. Uh, the text, uh, verse 16, ends with, with the guarantor of uh, the promises. That God is our Savior, Redeemer. He's the Mighty One. So that he is able to affect everything that he promises. I wish I could do that. Please don't talk to my wife or my children. You know, they will tell you a promise is made, but promise is not kept. Just simply the way of man. Uh, you can say, well, you tried hard. Well, God doesn't have to try hard. He is God. He will affect them all. Nothing will be left undone. It's a great reminder to move uh, to the mayor of the city and the everlasting Christ who begins the change uh, inside out, but uh, one day the external uh, will uh, be true to form, the majesty of the eternal city, because he's the mighty God, the mighty Savior. Third promise, verse 17, that God will rebuild the city with gold, silver, bronze, and iron. The list, I think, in my mind, is an allusion to 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 2, where David has assembled the resources for the building of Solomon's temple. Reminder here that the resources will be gathered by God, that he will affect an eternal, everlasting temple. That it suggests that the entire creation will be a temple reflecting the glory of God. It's a metaphor, if you will, for the divine presence and a non-literal temple. We struggle with this sometimes, I think, uh, we want to turn to Revelation chapter 21, 22nd verse. We 
Certainly as Protestants, uh, oftentimes we cite the litany that uh, the Bible is to be understood and taken literally. Well, certainly it is, but uh, the literalness, of course, must be defined by the author. Revelation 21, 22. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. So it's a non-literal temple. Uh, we, we continually hear the refrain that uh, uh, God's going to rebuild the temple. Well, He is the temple. You come to Christ, you belong to the temple. Never to be cast out. Uh, because He has gathered you into His presence. Uh, we, uh, uh, we, we sometimes celebrate in our culture a great architecture. Uh, we, we sometimes travel to Egypt to see the pyramids or the Parthenon. Or, or maybe someday you'll go to Washington, D.C. or if you've already been to Washington, D.C. and seen the great architecture, the Capitol building. Chump change. But to be in the presence of God, uh, who is the end-time temple, and all of the great architecture of the world and of civilization will pale in utter insignificance to the beauty uh, that God is and that God will bring. And much of that architecture has already been destroyed. The great city of Babylon, the hanging gardens, gone forever. Washed away simply by time, if you will. Uh, but God is eternal. His city will remain and abide forever. And that He is, again, the great everlasting temple. Uh, the beauty that God is and that God will bring. Now, we worship beauty in our culture. We try to hang on to it as long as we can. Uh, great industry in terms of uh, lotions and things you can uh, put on and perhaps uh, even in the garment industry wear uh, to hide what time is doing uh, to you. God needs none of that. And for us, He will fix it all. The power of His majesty. Uh, it's a great metaphor, picture of this, if you will, in uh, application, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18, uh, pardon me, verses uh, 8 to 10. Uh, it's my own belief that uh, some of this uh, uh, prophetic reality has begun in the church. And I understand it's not widely held, but uh, certainly it uh, is worth pondering in light of New Testament theology. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 8 to 10. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. Uh, now notice what Paul says, you are God's field, God's building. What building might that be other than the temple of God? According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and others building upon it, but let each man be careful how he builds upon it. Of course, Christ is the foundation. That Christ inaugurates this radical transformative change. Now the Gospel again begins to affect over time and in degree radical change in the citizens of end time Zion. Uh, so all of this great architecture chump change compared to the church and what the church is. Next, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah speaks of uh, the governors of the city and divine uh, attributes. 
and virtues. Latter part of verse 17. I will make peace your administrators and righteousness your overseers. Uh, we, uh, we live in a world in which uh, just multiple layers of government, uh, whether it be you know, local, state, federal, sometimes international, There, 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 are, there are no governors in, in uh, uh, the eternal city of Zion. You won't have to go, for example, to your uh, city council man or woman and say, I've got a pothole in my street, fix it. Uh, it's been there for a long time, fix my pothole. Uh, because there are no governors. God doesn't need governors. He tells us really who the governors are in great virtuous acts in terms of uh, peace and righteousness. That the uh, divine attributes will govern the city. What a great reminder that is, uh, that things will never be broken, uh, that we won't have to go to the city council or write our uh, state senators or maybe our congressmen and women to cry out because of some pressing need. Uh, there will be no needs because of who God is. And righteousness and peace will be our governors, uh, thereby obviating every potential need. Uh, you know, the irony, of course, is, is great. It's a reminder again of the gospel and the importance of Christ and the change he begins to effect uh, in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. Uh, uh, you and I take our problems to our representatives to fix things, but in the eternal city of Zion, there is nothing to be fixed. There is only eternal, abiding perfection, everlasting beauty. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm always uh, trying to find someone to paint the house, to fix this, uh, uh, to do something or other, because... Uh, uh, not just my health is failing, but my house is failing. In fact, everything is failing in this world. Not so in the city of God. Nothing fails. Nothing is broken. No problems in the eternal city. And therefore, no need for painters or plumbers or electricians. Uh, I was looking at the one ads in the paper this morning. It's incredible the demand for gifted tradesmen and women. Great demand for the people that are skilled in the great trades that do what? Fix things that are broken. You, you, you will not need a plumber in heaven or an electrician. No, no potholes, no broken sewer lines, uh, no understaffed health department. Uh, no recording on the telephone. Uh, leave your name and number and we'll get back with you as soon as we can. None of that. Uh, because the eternal city knows uh, nothing that's broken. The word overseer is very interesting here because I think it's a great picture in the truest form of government. Used in Exodus chapter 5, verse 8 of the overseers that... Uh, 
laid heavy tasks upon the children of Israel. Our overseers are peace and righteousness. Uh, no burdensome task to cause us to cry out to God. Uh, no tyranny. Uh, my own political philosophy is, is that governments tend towards tyranny because it's a way of man. Not so with God. He tends towards peace and liberty in Jesus Christ. The beginning of the gospel is true, everlasting freedom to be set free from shackles of uh, sin by the tyranny of hell. Uh, but not, not so with the government of God. Fourth, uh, verse 18, violence and devastation, destruction will not be heard of again. Uh, we won't uh, read the daily uh, newspaper in the end time Zion to look at the murder rate like the city of Chicago. Uh, we, won't, uh, uh, we won't have to uh, uh, be worried about cyber attacks, people infecting our computers with whatever virus there is, always changing the attacks, always evolving, won't be present in the end time Zion. It's a reminder again of the essence of the gospel that uh, what God promises he will deliver and what he promises is everything. Uh, a world vacated of uh, murder rates and crime and nations that threaten us, all those things will be gone forever. You know, imagine a time in your life in which there is absolutely no anxiety whatsoever in your personal being, much less your home, because there's nothing to be anxious about. That's the eternal state, the end time Zion. Every need met, every need fulfilled, nothing broken, only eternal, intractable glory uh, advancing because of the presence of God. Uh, these things will be no more. All worry and anxiety will vacate. In our own country, we have a Secretary of Defense. We have a Secretary of Agriculture. I can't name them all. We have a Secretary of everything because of the pressing need that people bring. There is no need for a Secretary of Defense in the end time side. Illustrated uh, in, uh, in the walls of the city, verse 18. You will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Uh, again, ancient Near East city-states built walls for protection and security. We'll have no need for protection and security. God is our protection. God is our security. Uh, he is that now in the gospel, but he will be that forever uh, because of his love and his care for his people. I love uh, our call to worship in a very profound way. I look into the mountains. God dwelled in the mountains. God's temple was in the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes the Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth. God will be our abiding help. See us safely in our exodus to the end time Zion. And I wish it... Uh, one time in my life, I would uh, open the Daily Oklahoma and read something to the effect that uh, the greatest immigration of all time is the movement to the end time Zion, where none are turned back, 
all are invited through Jesus Christ our Lord. And of course, the greatest promises of all, none are lost. That salvation will be our walls and our gates will be praised, entering the greatest city of all time. My own particular preference from the worldly standpoint is Washington, D.C. at night. It's Lincoln Memorial. Iwo Jima Memorial. Something about night and how all those great monuments are lit up. But again, the majesty of the eternal Zion, incredible promises that God will fulfill. Reminder again to flee to Christ and you, you begin your journey to the great end time Zion, the great city. Our gates will be praised. We'll be perpetually secure and thankful for the city will never fail. Lastly, there's no longer a need uh, for the great luminaries of the first creation and the sun and the moon. Isaiah 60, uh, verses 19 and 20. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor the brightness uh, will the moon give you light. Uh, why is that? But you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. God will be your glory. The glory and the majesty of God will be evident, will be our light. Our everlasting light and glory. John alludes to this, as you know, in Revelation 21. Uh, what will become of the great luminaries that you and I uh, have profound need for today, the sun and the moon? Uh, need for light, if you will. Revelation 21, uh, verse 11. Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Again, the glory of God in the end time Zion. But look at verse, verse 23. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God is illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. There will be no darkness. Darkness will have long since retreated. Verse 22.5 There shall no longer be any night. They shall no longer have a need for the light of the lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God shall illumine them and they shall reign forever and ever. So it's a reminder of the end time Zion captured in the language of an end time temple and an end time garden. That the garden is now open through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It begins with Him. If you're not a Christian, uh, you will never enter the city. The city will be closed to you. Uh, you will be outside of the city perpetually. None of the promises that Isaiah is giving to us here in Isaiah chapter 60 will fall upon those who are outside of Christ. They will be driven away. Uh, reminder of this, I think, in the, the great event of the crucifixion, that the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was ripped, signifying that we could enter the holy of holies and have perpetual fellowship with the most high God, the world without end. I mean, as you know from Old Testament theology, the high priest entered into the holy of holies only one time a year. Now it's all the time, every time, all glory uh, because of the work of Christ. That again, you come to the city through Christ. 
that the resplendent beauty of the divine effulgence formerly sequestered in the Holy of Holies is now totally manifest uh, for all time uh, those who come to the Savior. Something of a picture of this in Exodus chapter 33. Uh, Moses uh, seeks affirmation of the divine presence. And uh, he asks uh, to see the presence of God. Exodus 33, 22 to 23. It will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, uh, but my face shall not be seen. And so Moses uh, captures, if you will, uh, just simply the after part of the passing by of God, hidden in the cleft of the rock because in his mortal being, uh, he couldn't fully embrace uh, the majesty of the glory of God. But we will. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 18. Reminder of the beginning reality. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all with unveiled face beholding, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. That for us it's already begun in the glory of Christ. I mean, John chapter 1, verse 18, we beheld His glory. We beheld the glory of Christ. Uh, that the glory has begun in the gospel, reminding us that we'll enter the city by virtue of Christ. And the perpetuity of the light of the glory of God means that all fear will vacate. In our world, uh, the night is an occasion for bad things to happen. Bad men sometimes do their, do their thing at night. I, mean, I understand they do it all day long, but sometimes at night under the cover of darkness. Sometimes you have bad dreams at night. Or restless sleep. Or some event going on in your life and you just simply the beauty and the majesty of restfulness escapes you. Won't happen in the eternal city. No bad dreams. No anxious sleep. because of the glory of God. Uh, for us, it's all light, all glory, all the time. It's difficult, really, to comprehend what that means. I mean, you go to great art museums to behold the glory of the old masters. You go to the symphony sometimes to hear well, humor me, Baroque music. You go to old cities, you know, stand on, if you will, the banks of the river, Danube, Budapest at night, incredible glory. It's all chump change. It's all fading. It's all breaking. It's only one city. We come into that city through Jesus Christ. 
and uh, none who belong to him will be turned away. Uh, it's a borderless city, if you will. Uh, Christ is, is the door to the city of end-time glory. Uh, it's confirmed in the final description of the end-time city, the 20th verse. And the days of your mourning will be finished. It's literally the, the days of your mourning, the Hebrew text is literally will be peace. Eternal peace. Uh, no longer a need to mourn. Because of the fall, we all shed tears. Uh, we lose people we love deeply. We, we go through difficult times in life. Uh, we have a fight with a boss or an eternal squabble within a family. Uh, the days of mourning will be at peace. Great peace of the gospel uh, that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. The beginning reality of this promise of the end time city uh, that we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Greatest peace in all the world. That God is at peace with us. Uh, reminder that uh, the anxiety that we would have in standing before a God of eternal justice uh, it begins to evoke anxiety and fear, but in Jesus Christ that is all gone all the time. But that the intensity of it, that we will enter the city of perpetual peace and uh, we will no longer need a shoulder to cry on, a handkerchief to wipe away our tears because it will be all peace, all glory, all the time, never to end. The eternal city of Zion, all causes of sadness removed, the curse and all of its vestiges vacated. This is our city. If you will, Isaiah chapter 60, verses 15 to 22 are, are like a, a travel brochure describing if you're a Christian, where you will end up. It's really a place to want to go to. Uh, John wants to go there so much. Uh, the last promise given in all the Bible, uh, I am coming quickly. What does John say? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. He knows something of the reality of the end-time Zion. He's got the travel brochure, if you will, and he knows it's the greatest of all possible events, eternal, majestic beauty in the fullness of eternal intensity breaking upon the children of faith through Jesus Christ. That's how you get to the city. Through him, only through him. You'll never be lost, never be turned back. And you will be there because of who God is. And now we turn, verses 21 to 22, to the citizens of the city. That God will not only transform the end time Zion, He will also transform her citizens. Verse 21, then all your people will be righteous. It presupposes the completion of our imputed righteousness and our ultimate glorification. Uh, the Apostle Peter alludes to this in 2 Peter. Second uh, Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read uh, verses 11 to 13. 
Since all of these sayings are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to His promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That righteousness dwells, I think, comes from Isaiah chapter 60. Transformation of the people of God. The context of Peter's exhortation that we are to live in light of the consummation, in light of the end time Zion, having the fullness of the peace that we'll get there by virtue of the power of God. That Isaiah embraces the future glory of it. And Peter confirms the permanence. I love the words. Never tire of the words of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we shall be changed. To me, one of the greatest promises in all of the Scripture. Radically changed. To radically fit us out for the glory of the end time Zion has to be radical, doesn't it? Because the city will be so radical. It's a, the continual abiding uh, promise of the Scripture. I love uh, uh, the promise of Psalm 73. You will guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. Become a Christian God guides you with his counsel. When your life ends, he will receive you into glory, the glory of the end time Zion, the glory of the citizens of Zion. It engages that there will never, ever again be a fall. Never, ever will the city, will the garden temple fall. Experience the effects of the fall. The reality of the words of the Apostle Paul, we shall be changed, for the garden temple will be changed. And we will live their world without end in the fullness of the intensity of the love of God. Well, Adam was driven out of the garden. We will not be driven out. That our moral estate sealed, rendering expulsion a non-issue. I mean, you and I live in a world of perpetual anxiety because of our perpetual failure. One day you won't be able to do your job for whatever reason. Health will fail you. Time will fail you. Won't happen in the eternal sign. There is no failure. There is only everlasting acceptance in the love of God. Remember Charles Spurgeon was once preaching a sermon. At the end of the sermon, they discovered that a lady in the pew had died. Spurgeon said, I wished I had been her. Oh, to be in heaven used to tell my good friend Al McCartney, my dear mother, you're going to beat me to heaven in all likelihood. And they did. And we ought to be envious because of all that it means to be, to live in the eternal city through Jesus Christ our Lord, that we are at peace with God because of Him. It's interesting that the prophet uses a garden metaphor uh, Isaiah chapter 60. Uh, the branch of my planting is a garden metaphor. Uh, 
If you will look, look at Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, great reminder that God has already begun the branch of his planting uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from its roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. It's a messianic promise fulfilled for us in Jesus Christ that the, the promises are beginning fulfillment in him. Uh, you want to get to this city? You get to it through him. A reference to Messiah that God does it. It's a reason that the new creation will not be undone. It is his work and for his glory. Lastly, uh, the prophet says uh, by the inhabitants of the city that they will become a massive and a mighty nation. Verse 22. Uh, the smallest one will become a clan and the least one a mighty nation that seemingly will begin very small. Uh, but in heaven, it will be utterly massive in its transformation. Not only internally, but externally. Utterly massive. Reminded of uh, one of my uh, favorite uh, Old Testament rejoinders. Zechariah chapter 4 in the 10th verse. Who has despised the day of small things? We do that all the time in the church. The world, of course, uh, perfects it. We mock small things. Uh, be very careful about mocking small things. They begin small. A branch of planting a shoot Christ who uh, will take over the world. Uh, the, again, the garden, the garden temple uh, begun in the Savior, reminding us of the majesty of the provision of God in His Son. Well, the text uh, closes with that which is absolutely essential to all of these promises. And that is the one who makes the promises. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. God is sovereign. He will make it happen in His time. Uh, none who trust Him will be disappointed. I'm always intrigued in our culture that we live in a world of 10,000 promises. Most of them unravel. The best of the politicians will come to no end. Most uh, politicians uh, gain their offices through making promises. Uh, I wonder how many of them can keep them all. But I'm simply telling you of one who makes incredible promises. Who will, because of who he is, keep them all. And it's already begun in his son, the promised shoot, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I'd like to go to this city. I will go to the city because of Jesus Christ, my Lord. I trust uh, that is your hope and your promise. And uh, may God set the joy of that city in your heart. That in all of your discouragements and maybe even in all of your failures, you know one who will never fail you, who will never leave you. And may that twinkle in your eye shine all the brighter because of who you are in the Son. That you have safe passage, you have a passport to the greatest city of all time that will never fail. 
and we will never fail in it because we are with him forever and ever. That love and beauty will be our eternal possession and inheritance. Uh, thanks be to the great God who makes it so in his Son. And may we never lose sight of the reality of that promise. May it abide with us throughout all of the vagaries of our lives, knowing full well that the keeper of the promise will keep us until that day in which we will see him in the fullness of his glory.